We're the Nada Grande Boys. I'm Rodney Wood. And I'm Kyle Jackson. Welcome to the Nada Grande Outdoors podcast where we hunt it forward. No intros, Kyle. No, no intros. intros. <laughs> Remember that. We've got one. We're good to go. Uh, <clears throat> Kyle Jackson uh, and Rodney Wood here with my brother and uh, trapping guru, Ty Jackson. Say hi, Ty. Hey. <laughs> so, we wanted to do a follow-up. We told you guys we'd do a follow-up to our Modern Mountain Men video and podcast where we talked about prepping your traps. Um, we went through and showed you a little bit about the nomenclature of traps. Uh, what else we talked about on that one, Ty? Uh, just a little bit of kind of the history of trapping and how it's changed over time. We talked about a lot of the equipment, and ch- especially the changes in equipment. Exactly. <clears throat> and uh, it's uh, interesting, and I guess that's one of the reasons we wanted to do this. We had planned on going out on the trap line with you, Ty, which we got to do a little bit little bit of today. But it's interesting that, that uh, we kind of got to do this because of some of the... Uh, I guess you could call social and political issues that are going to be coming up in in this year's legislature. One of which is is pretty pretty heavily going to be focusing on on trapping and and there there's a lot of people who are who are looking to probably try and get that tool taken out of our toolbox. So I think it's uh, fitting that we uh, want to get as much good and correct factual information out there for you guys as possible and then let you guys make up your own make up your own minds on it basically uh does that about about cover what we're we're looking to talk about today so rodney hadn't said one word i don't know what he's doing over there just standing here (laughs) it's um well it's it's a subject that i'm not you know overly knowledgeable in um i've never done any trapping so uh, I really enjoyed today uh, getting getting to watch how traps are set and where you set them and why. Uh, very interesting stuff. But yeah, my knowledge on trapping is pretty much zip. So let's talk about, Ty, we, we began today uh, out on the trap line. I guess to get started, um, you usually do about a week trap line a year. Is that right? Yeah, I usually trap for a little bit longer than that, but I try to take a week off where that's all I do. You know, kind of like when I take time off, when I draw a hunt, you know, it's real similar to that. I try to take a little bit of vacation time. It's a good time for me to spend with the with the kids, and, and uh, we all enjoy it. And uh, I guess one of, the, one of the big reasons for that for you is, you know, you've been trapping for a, a long, fairly long period of time, and... Um, having, having a lot of traps out, you know, obviously gets you more fur. Uh, but did you, like when you started out trapping, how did you start out? Did you just have a couple of traps? Were you just dabbling in it? What happened there? Yeah. You know, when I started out, it was cause dad had a, a few traps in there, in the, in the shop there. And, you know, I thought it was, they were cool. Um, 
didn't know anybody that trapped. You know, I think I think Dad had trapped just a little bit, but it was primarily for beaver on depredation type stuff. Um, and he never really taught me anything about trapping. Um, so I just thought that traps themselves were cool because, you know, you find them in the barn and you just think, hey, that's really neat. And so I, I tried to trap a little bit when I was, you know, in grade school or, or something like that. And, uh, of course, didn't know anything about what I was doing. Had no idea how to set a trap. You know, I, if I remember right, and it's been a while now, but if I remember right, I think I set a couple traps down below the house there, you know, quarter mile or so. And I don't even think I had them in the ground. I think they were literally laying on top of the ground. That's how little I knew about <laughs> trapping. Um, so, yeah. I, I, well, I'm uh, sure you're, you're probably not the only one with that. No. I mean, especially being that young, you no. know, you just... Um, you, you see those old movies and, and, and things and you kind of go off of, uh, at least I remember this, you know, you, your, your ideals and things kind of were gleaned from those old cowboy movies and things like that. Yep. So, no, I, I, you know, I, I've learned a little since then, luckily, uh, <laughs> it, uh, I can tell you, uh, one of the quickest tips, uh, in, in predator trapping is if you don't bury your trap, you can almost guarantee you're going to catch very little. So. <laughs> <laughs> so where where Ty when you were as you were you know growing and trapping and learning um where did you learn was it just trial and error or so did you read books what, it, what did you do to learn it was kind of hit or miss you know over time I like I say I worked on some ranches when I was you know in high school and then after well while I was in college and then after I graduated college and uh you know, the whole time trapping was one of those things that interested me, but it was kind of on the periphery of what I was doing. And mm-hmm. I, I, I really didn't know anybody that trapped. And, and of course, you have to remember this is prior to YouTube and, and the Internet and all of that stuff. I so mean, what you're saying um, is you're an old part. I am old. Uh, <laughs> and it's, don't, don't call him old. It's, uh, we're it, pretty close behind him. Yeah. Ty, Ty's only two years ahead of me. So, I, yeah, I think I'm ahead of him. Yeah. yeah. So don't call him old. So, it, <laughs> You know, it, it, it wasn't that long ago, you know, a lot of folks, it's even me, you know, you think, wow, the internet's been around for, for a long time, but it really wasn't that long ago. You know, when yeah. I, when I graduated college, I didn't even own a cell phone. Uh, they, we had cell phones, but, uh, but I didn't own one, you know, it was kind of a, a nice thing to have or an expensive thing to have. Um, so yeah, my, my knowledge base was not there. I didn't. I didn't have any books. I didn't have, I really had nothing. And so it was something that was just kind of always, well, it's interesting, but I didn't know anything about it. And really, you know, once I, once I got started in, in, uh, well, I take, I take it back. When I got married, uh, my, my brother-in-law trapped a little bit and he knew a little bit about trapping and, uh, he knew a thousand percent more than I knew about trapping. Right. And so, I learned a little bit from him, and at the time I was actually working for him on a ranch, and uh, and so I learned a little bit, and uh, it was it was one of those things again. It kind of just piqued my interest. Yeah. And then later on, uh, you know, after I got into my current job, it was one of those things that you got to know uh, in this line of work. You got to know a little something about it, and so again, it just kind of piqued my interest. Well, by that point, I did actually know some people who trapped, and so I could use them as a resource, and. The biggest thing that helped me is they just pointed me. I didn't have anyone close around me that could take me out and show me. Here's how you do it. Yeah. But what they did is they they pointed me in the direction of some books, and uh, so I I went on uh, you know ordered a catalog called and ordered a catalog. You have to remember this is again not, yeah. not prior to the internet. <laughs> but this was the beginning of the internet, and uh, 
Um, so I, I called and I ordered a, a trapping catalog from a supply house and they sent it to me. And uh, once I got it, it was like, holy moly, there's all kinds of information out there. I just didn't know where to even look to find it. Right. And uh, ordered a couple books. And, you know, for somebody that doesn't have a lot of money or doesn't really know if they really want to get into this, books are a, a cheap, easy way to get a lot of really good information. You know, a lot of these trapping books, you can get a really high quality trapping instruction book for, you know, eight to 15 bucks. I mean, right. it's not very much money. And uh, that's really where it kind of started. And so <clears throat> I think maybe there's there's a point for us to kind of to, to kind of look at there. Uh, you know, Ty saying you can you can get a, a trapping, a good quality trapping book for for not much money. Well, you can go on to YouTube for free. But what's yep. the bit? What's the pitfalls with YouTube? So pit, the pitfalls of YouTube are just like anything that you're trying to learn about. Uh, you you got to be careful that you're not getting instruction from a 14 year old that doesn't know anything. And uh, <laughs> well, and so the you know the other two thing to think about with YouTube is you may go on there and be or be watching a, a trapping video on somebody who lives in a different state and, yep. and they have totally different regulations, or you may be watching a YouTube video. Uh, on on somebody who has absolutely no idea what they're doing, but just decided to put out the put out a video. Yep. Uh, I remember uh, hearing a you know hear, hearing about a, a guy that was trapping in this area, and he waxed his snares. Yeah. Which you know if you've been doing any trapping at all, that doesn't make any sense because nope. then your snare can't work. But uh, you know, his response was, oh, I saw it on, you know, that's how, that's how everybody on YouTube's doing it. Right. Well, they're just, doing it wrong. Just for everybody's information, we're going to be putting a YouTube video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There, and it, there is, there's definitely some good information on YouTube. Um, you know, I use it. I watch videos on YouTube on all sorts of topics. It's amazing what you can find mm-hmm. on there. Just and, don't do anything. And there is some good trapping information on there. You know, one of the trap supply houses out of the Midwest, they've got a channel and they put something out, you know, pretty regular. And it's entertaining to watch and it's got some good information and they know what they're talking about. And uh, so you can find good information. The problem is when you don't know the good from the bad, right? because you're just starting out, it's hard to, it's hard to kind of filter that. Yeah. And my guess would be that just like anything, you know, you need a starting point, you know, a good book or a good, good yep. mentor um, to get you started. And then the rest is going to come from experience. And the, and any time, you know, whether it's a book or a YouTube video, you've always got to go back and make sure, again, that, you know, just like Kyle said, the, the guy that wrote the book may be in Mississippi. I mean, mm-hmm. it, the rules aren't necessarily the same, or it, even if they're from the same state, at the time the book was written, again, laws yeah, change over time. Change. You know, if the, if the book was written 10 years ago, that may or may not still be legal. So you just need to double check all that stuff. Yeah, and like Rodney was saying, a lot of it's going to be kind of trial and error because, you know, how, how a, uh, let's take for instance, we, we, we set some coyote sets today how a coyote reacts you know in the sand hills of nebraska may be totally different with how he's going to react to a set in the rocks or you know in the mesa lands or whatever a little bit you know for the most part the a coyote's a coyote and a cat's a cat um how they use the terrain may may change just a little bit but in in general the spots are the same the locations are the same um that is the nice thing is just because you know, just because you're reading a book from a guy from Michigan, 
it's talking about trapping bobcats, the information is, is still useful, even though he may be trapping in a cedar swamp and you're trapping in, you know, rocky bluffs because you're here in New Mexico. Uh, the information's still, still good. Uh, the locations where he's telling you are still good. They just look different. Um, on the face of the landscape, it's not covered with trees here, or it is covered with trees there. You know, if he's, if he's reading a Western book, you're still looking for those same general locations. Um, but but you're going to have to train yourself to figure to. out what you're looking for, where you're Exactly, trapping. exactly yeah. right. Yeah, so. Cool. Um, you're, so, I guess let's talk about that. I mean, that's a good place to kind of jump in. Uh, if you've never been trapping before, uh, I remember the first trap I ever set, I, you know, I just, I was probably illegal, I don't know, I was a kid, but uh, I just found a, a hole under a fence that that looked like some coyotes were using it and I said it right there uh, but there's go there's a lot more that actually goes into it than uh, than where you think the animals using you know yeah, yeah. You, you know we talked a little bit about location today and and hopefully some of that video on on the uh, that you guys filmed today will will show location location is one of the hardest things to teach people um, and it is you know, we talked a little bit about it earlier, but it, it is the key to trapping. Location is the key. That's the secret. Um, there, there's it's almost like it's almost like buying a house or, or putting it, in a business. Location, location, is. location. It really is. And it, it, we talked about it uh, on the when we were videoing some stuff earlier today. But when we were making some sets, you can have the best lure in the world, make the best set, but if you're off location, you're not going to catch what you should catch. If you're on location, you can get by with not the perfect set, not the perfect or best lure, um, and you're still going to catch uh, predators because you, you're right where they want to be. Uh, and that, you know, a lot of folks want that secret bait, that secret lure. They think that's that's the the trick, but it's not. The trick is the location, and it's the hardest. It's also the hardest thing to learn, and it's the hardest thing to teach because you really have to know. A lot about the animal that you're after. Um, it to consistently trap them, you've got to you've got to be pretty switched on. Um, so knowing how those predators use the country or or the fur bear that you're after, knowing how it uses the terrain and where it's likely to go versus where it's less likely, you know, all of that stuff. Um, is going to determine whether you're successful or not. So let's delve into that a little bit more. <clears throat> you know, I, I don't want to get necessarily into into you know too much of a specific locations, mm -hmm. but in general, what are you looking for when you're looking for location? What I the way the easiest way I've found to explain it is if you if you thought about it and you were like, I'm going to trap a person. Where would I go? Walmart. Yeah, that's exactly right. Would, would you set a trap in the middle of the wilderness on a trail, or would you set a trap on a sidewalk that gets used, you know, right at the entryway to Walmart? Right. Well, you could catch somebody in the middle of the wilderness. I mean, it's not beyond the realm of possibilities, but where are your odds the best? And your odds are the best at the front door of Walmart. You know, it gets lots of traffic, and that's exactly... You know, that's exactly what you need to think of when you're trapping these these animals. Is 
where are you going to get the most shots at them? You can get a shot at an animal anywhere in the world. I mean, they can walk anywhere they want to. Uh, they're, uh, for the most part, can go anywhere. Um, but where are they consistently, you're getting shots at them every couple days, you know, every day, every evening, or every two days. And that's really where it comes into knowing, knowing how they use the terrain, knowing what they need, you know, where's a good food source, where's a good water source, where's a good travel way. Where's a good cover, you know, uh, some good cover that they're going to either hunt or hide in. And then you start stacking those in your favor. So if you've got a trail, uh, let's just talk coyotes because that's what we were setting for today. Um, coyotes uh, like to travel. <clears throat> when they travel, they like to travel on a trail or a road. And that's, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for a trail or a road. Well, there's trails and roads everywhere. So I think I think uh, it's funny that Rodney piped up with you know if you're going to trap a person where would you go and 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 he said Walmart because uh, you know everybody uses Walmart because it's convenience uh, convenient and I think I think that's one of the things that that is hard to maybe get people to understand that that these animals aren't like these mythical beings that can you know, commune with nature just to avoid, you know, avoid what you're doing. Mm -hmm. They're, they're, they're animals like you and me, and they have needs for water. They have needs for food. They yep. have needs for cover. And they are just like you and I, uh, all of them probably have a little bit of a lazy streak in them. And yep. they're going to take the most convenient and easiest route possible. If it doesn't conflict with, you know, the need for food, water and safety. Yes. And, like I say, you, you want to start stacking those in your favor. So just because there's a cow trail there doesn't, that may be a good place to set. Uh, but it's better if you can get a, a cow trail that's crossing with another cow trail. You have that intersection. So you've just doubled your chances of something that's trotting down one of those trails. If you can get two or three cow trails that come together and it's close to, uh, you know, let's say a water source, that's even better. You know, why is a water source good? Because obviously the, the the animal needs water but also all of the prey species need water so in this desert state that we live in that's a congregation source so it's a good place for a coyote to come and start start a hunt or or look for you know quail or or rabbits or whatever they're hunting um you know deer that anything and yes. so so uh, so if we're, we're equating it to humans <clears throat> you're you're at nature's grocery store and nature's highway right yeah, there at yep. the intersection Yep. And, and it, that's, you know, like I say, I'm not, uh, I've, I've set traps where it was only, you know, because there was a game trail there or a cow trail or something that looked like it was getting used, but your odds just increase every time you can, you can stack those two things together. And if you think about it from the sense, you know, a lot of the folks that are going to listen, they hunt, they may not trap, but they hunt. Where do you hunt? You hunt in those high probability locations. Could you find a deer just randomly in the forest? Sure, you could. But when you're looking for deer, you're going to concentrate on where they come in to and from cover and feed. Yeah. To and from, you know, feed and water, yeah. those types of locations. The more of those you can stack together, the better your odds of finding what you're after. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think that's a, a great analogy and a great way to describe it. And I, you know, uh, I think it's important that, that, we can articulate that because oftentimes it's really hard to say, well, you know, it's not really hard to say it. 
uh, it's hard to articulate what you're talking about. You say find a good location, yeah. but uh, if you're talking to somebody who's new who may have not trapped or is just an, you know early in their trapping career, uh, they may have heard that over and over again. You know, that location is key. But if it, if they don't know what you're talking about, man, it you it could be just as confusing as as not having that information. And you know, I, you, this is one of those things. Uh, this is one of the reasons I enjoy trapping, is because it is probably the most challenging thing I've done outdoors. Um, you know, I, I I bow hunt, love to bow hunt. That's a challenge. I've hunted with a muzzleloader. I've hunted with a rifle. Hunted lots of different species. You know, everything that I can draw, pretty much. Um, and I love all that, but day in and day out, this is the biggest challenge is when you're, when you're trying in all the world, trying to get that coyote to step on just two, two inches. That's, yeah. a, that's an amazing feat when you think about it. And to do it consistently, uh, you know, the folks that can do it, and there's, there's a lot of folks out there, a whole lot better trappers than me. Um, those, those are the folks that really, they're tuned in to, to those species. I mean, they... They know how that coyote works with the country. It's yeah. amazing those guys can just drive along and at 75 miles an hour on the highway, they can look out the window and go, that's a good spot, that's a good spot. And you know, you might pull up or I might pull up to a spot and walk around for 15 minutes going, well, I don't know, should I be right here or right there? And those guys that have gotten really good at it, they can just they get out of the truck and before they even get out, they know where they're gonna put their traps. Yeah. You know? I'm gonna go over there 50 yards. I'm gonna put it right by that little pile of grass or that little tuft of grass. Or I'm gonna go over there 100 yards and set up against that bluff. And and, uh. and I think uh, that that's one of the cool things about trapping. Um, we talked about on our earlier pod on our former podcast about how misunderstood the practice is uh, that you know people saying that it's archaic that that uh, there's no place for it but when you really get to understand trapping and 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 get to know those guys like you're talking about who understand those animals so well um it's really a, a higher art form yeah because they can look at something that you or i may look at and just see as a clump of grass and they can just absolutely envision how that animal is going to come into it and, and like you were saying know where they want to put it before they even get out of the truck because they have they have tuned themselves so well to to uh, those animals and, and and how the whole ecology of it works that they can do that it's, and it's amazing yeah no yeah. it is and you know there's just as you get better and better at it you know you start stepping out and immediately you notice the wind direction and you notice which where the sun's shining uh, because that's going to make a difference on making sure that your traps your your trap bed dries out because inevitably if you have your trap set over a week or two weeks you're going to have you know some rain or some snow or or something like that and and it can be a matter of moving over the same the same location but just move over three feet and you're yeah. you're all of a sudden you're in the sun and that spot's going to dry out and your trap's going to work where if you're three feet to the right you know it's just going to stay in the shade and that snow stays on top of it and it freezes down um but it is uh it is a challenge and it's something that everybody that i've ever talked to and i in my personal experience i can say it's true is it's something that you, you never stop learning i mean yeah. every year there's something that I learned it's like wow that that would have been good to know five years ago but right. um, there was there was probably 
five or ten things. Like I said earlier, <clears throat> I'm a complete novice to trapping. I've never done it. The only traps I ever set as a kid, because my uncle was a trapper, the only traps I ever set as a kid was around our fort to keep her cousin out. Yeah. And there was probably... <laughs> Did it work? Uh, no. <laughs> a brick You're wall. talking Jack? Yeah. Brick yeah. wall wouldn't keep him out. <laughs> uh, but there was probably five or ten things that you said that I would have never thought of. Yeah. You know, like, for instance, that, you know, throw your stick in the hole rather than toss. It made perfect sense when you said it. Yeah. But I chunked that stick out, and Coyote would have been over there eating the stick instead of standing <laughs> on my trap. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, you know, a lot of this, you know, I've got to give credit where, where it's due. And, and a lot of this I've learned from other folks, either through their books or, or videos or something like that. You know, I there's a lot of this that uh, it's amazing you can... You read a guy's book or, or listen or watch a video or something, and all of a sudden you pick up one little thing, and you're like, wow, that was super simple, right. and how did I not think of that? You right. know? Um, and and that's, how all, that's how this, you know, that's how this has worked. That's how we've gotten better, and that's how equipment has evolved in, in trapping and techniques have evolved. And, and uh, um, you know, a lot of folks, if we were still trapping like it was 1840, um, those folks weren't terribly efficient right. uh, just because they didn't know anything. You know, they, when you think about it back then, even, even back in the, you know, early 1900s, most trappers didn't share any knowledge. So if you became good at it, it's because you worked it out in your own head and you weren't about to tell your neighbor right. or the, you know, the kid down the street yeah. how, how to catch anything because that was competition. That was competition and you had to work your whole life to get to that point. You know, a 60, 60 year old man had lived his whole life and worked and, and struggled and finally figures out a couple of little tricks that are working for him and the little snot nosed kid down the street wants to know him and he's like, No, I'm not sharing that. So Right. We live in a time now where, you know, the information age where this stuff is readily available, uh and and it can take your learning curve from decades down to a year you know within a year yeah. you can if you're if you're really interested in it and and study and and read some books and watch some some videos from some knowledgeable folks you can become a pretty proficient trapper in a few years now there's still a lot of that that a book or a video can never teach you um, yeah. you've got to learn on your own when you step out of the vehicle because I can show you a hundred locations, but they're my locations. So when you go to your spot, they don't look the same. No, and yeah. and you've got to sort that out in your own mind. Yeah. So I want to get your your opinion on this, Ty, because something that you just said kind of struck me is <clears throat> that we're living in the information age where that stuff is out there and it's readily readily available. Uh, and so it's interesting to me that those attacks and those um, attempts to get rid of the practice of trapping have increased so much when we live in this information age and and the facts are, are out there for people to understand. Why, why do you think that is? You know, I don't know exactly. I, I think it's like a lot of things that, you know, some folks, for whatever reason, don't like it. And it doesn't matter what anyone has to say. They um, they're not necessarily going to change their mind. You know, there's a lot of folks that don't know and, and they're open-minded about it, but the folks who would like to get rid of it, there's, there's very little, if anything, that anyone could do to convince them. 
Um, you know, it's the same with, with folks who are against hunting. There's lots and lots of information out there. Um, I mean, reams and reams and reams of, of information out there and thousands of hours of video that's out there. But if, if they're truly against it, they've made their mind up, there's nothing you can do about that. Um, really what stuff like this would do, you know, talking to you guys about it and putting this out there, it's for those folks who either want to learn, they're interested in it, um, or they're already doing it and they, they just want to, you know, you never know where you're going to pick up a little nugget of information and they want to listen to it. Or it's those folks that really don't know and they truly are open-minded about it and they're, they don't know. Uh, and they don't know whether they like it or don't like it, but they, they want some more information. And so hopefully, hopefully we can reach a few of those folks, but it's, uh, you know, some folks don't like consumptive use of wildlife. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's hunting, trapping, fishing, doesn't matter. They, they don't like it. They don't think people should take wildlife. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of folks who think that it's, that it's fine. And obviously, you know, we, I, I think that it's fine. I think it's backed up by, by a lot of different things. Um, you know, the, the science behind it, the management angle, it's a little bit irresponsible in my, not a little bit, it's a lot irresponsible in my view to fail to manage species, to let nature take its course. Um, that's a, that's a pretty harsh, uh, that's a pretty harsh way to manage anything. You know, yeah. if you if you think about uh, you you have ten cats in your house and you just decide you're not going to spay and neuter any of them, and you're only going to feed them as much as you're currently feeding them, and you're going to let nature take its course, you're going to have some pretty horrific things happen in that house. Yeah. And and wildlife's the same way. You know, there is there's a finite amount of food, and and uh, and to think that people can just be removed from the landscape or removed from the equation first of all it's it's not realistic uh obviously and and second it's not even historically accurate you know people have been on the landscape for millennia yeah always participating in taking wildlife something that's something i've always said you've heard me say it a thousand times kyle um people say let nature take its course they forget we're a part of nature yes we are a part of nature and if we don't do our part nature's not taking its course yeah yeah and like you said you've said that and i've said a million times that nature is violent uh mm -hmm. it, it does not it is not what's depicted in in the feel-good movie you know movies like bambi and and things like that it, it's just not it's uh it's eat or be eaten uh you're either prey or your predator and sometimes you're both and you yeah. know i hear a lot of things uh i've had some interesting conversations with some really knowledgeable people over the last few months on on some of these topics just kind of by happenstance but um one of the things you know that i i've heard in the past i don't hear it very often but i do hear it is uh you know again the na na let nature take its course and and kind of holding up you know, like Yellowstone Park is an example of, mm -hmm. you know, look at how great this can be if we just leave everything alone. And and while that's sort of true, uh, it, it, it misses some really key points. Mm -hmm. And it, the biggest thing is that you have to recognize that Yellowstone Park currently, uh, they don't allow hunting in there, haven't allowed hunting for, for quite a while. I don't know. If, uh, it seems like they had had some hunting in there at one point, but it's been a long time. At least several decades. Oh yeah, 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 several decades, if not longer. But yeah. anyway, they don't allow hunting in there. 
Um, and, and the reason behind the reasoning behind that, uh, in a lot of folks mind is this is how it was pre European, you know, this is prior to the European settlement of the North American continent. Um, it, first of all, that's not even remotely factually accurate. Yeah. Uh, there were native Americans hunting the Yellowstone basin for thousands of, <laughs> thousands years. of years. I mean, it, it was it was a hunting ground used by a number of tribes, uh, and it was uh, it was hunted pretty hard, mm -hmm. and to support those tribes. And so, for Yellowstone is an anomaly, and it's it's actually not a natural condition now, based on how it has been for thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. Now, you know whether or not we allow hunting in Yellowstone Park is a little bit irrelevant just because we manage wildlife all over the rest of the nation. Yeah. So any excesses in that park can come off and, and can be dealt with. You know, it's it's not an island. Yeah, and, and the animals that do come out of the park, um, you know, your buffalo and elk and yeah. wolves and bears, um, now they're fair game. Yeah. And, and, and the populations there are getting to the point to where there's plenty coming off of the park. Sure. And, it, you know, there's, but there are major repercussions for, for any change that we make in our, in our landscape and any changes that we make to how we yes. manage wildlife. And if, if suddenly we no longer manage, you know, go a little bit back to our topic here. If suddenly we don't manage an entire, um, subset of our wildlife being fur bearers uh, because trapping is illegal or or trapping gets banned in certain areas uh, there are repercussions for that uh, yes. there, there's repercussions for for those species and it's not all good uh, you know a lot well, of folks, not just those species but their prey species oh, yeah. I mean everything around them it, it, yeah, it's a, it, there's there nothing is standalone exactly. in and of itself it's an ecosystem it's it all is connected and and it's that's that's one of the reasons uh, that that trapping is beneficial is because it is managed. Yeah. When you fail to manage, uh, or you make something where there is no no way for let's say a landowner to deal with a problem wildlife, yeah. uh, and, and you know, let's say it's a raccoon getting in and and eating chickens, and there's no legal way for that landowner to do it, they're still going to deal with it. Yeah. It's just going to be illegally done. Yeah, and so and it's a lot like so like California when they banned um, cougar hunting. Mm -hmm. So you had a population willing and able to do predator control on cougars. They banned it. They didn't stop the predation, predation yeah. or control. They simply switched it from the public who was going to pay to do it, and now the government. Is doing it themselves, and the taxpayers are footing the bill. Yeah, yeah. So that's 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 some smart it, economic it, process right there. They're <laughs> so they're still getting um, managed. There's just different people doing it. Right, and, and it's it's unfortunate when when that happens because again, uh, not only are you losing a lot of um, benefit to wildlife. You know, if you have sportsmen one of the things that, that a lot of folks don't realize they kind of, a lot of folks a lot of especially the hunters and and fishermen and trappers know about this stuff but I don't know that they realize the amount of money that it generates when they are buying those licenses and buying the the you know the the firearm and the ammunition and the the you know the hunting gear that they're going to the fishing gear that they're going to go out and use it's it's amazing 
the excise taxes that that generates, you know, the license yeah. sales, that's one of the things I hear on trapping, uh, in particular on trapping, is the license sales don't, uh, they don't even pay to run, you know, to have, have a fur bearer biologist, for example, because there's not enough of them. And that may, depending on the state, that may or may not be true. But those folks spend a lot of money that gets Edmund mm -hmm. Robertson yep. uh, taxed, and they spend a lot of time out in the field. So there's benefits to wildlife. Not only do those, you know, the monetary benefits, but they also provide a service to all of the other hunters, the deer hunters, elk hunters, the quail hunters, all of those yep. because they're taking a few of those predators off of the landscape uh, or, you know, beaver, and in, in, they're helping uh, landowners and, and places like that because they're taking a few of those off of the landscape and they're paying to do it. And a state agency or a federal agency isn't having to use tax money or license money to go and do the exact same removal yeah. and then not even use the animal because they're yeah, not going to buy it. They're not going to use it. Yeah. Um, it. You know, the sportsman is going in there, the, the hunter or the trapper is going in there and they're paying for the license, they're paying to do it, they're doing it on their own time at no cost to the public, they're doing a service for, in a lot of cases, for either a landowner or the other big game species out there, and they, they're helping those species by removing uh, some of that off and costing nothing. Uh, yeah. Again, they're paying for the service. Yeah, they're paying, they're paying to do it. Exactly. So. And so, even if you don't necessarily like it, uh, I think it's important that you at least think about the repercussions because there are not if if a if a licensed trapper can't come and take care of your raccoon problem or your bobcat problem or your you know coyotes aren't a protected species but we still have a lot of folks that trap for coyotes if all of a sudden uh, that becomes a state agency or a federal agency's responsibility to solve all these problems for all of these homeowners and landowners around the state that's a huge burden yeah. and someone has to pay for that well generally speaking it's the other sportsmen so we take away these licenses we take away the benefit that they're providing and then we shift that entire burden over to our deer and elk hunters or pronghorn hunters or and license sales are going to go up yeah because we're now having to pay to do depredation calls on those predators that were formerly being paid yes they were we in, were being the we department was being paid for that someone was yeah, yeah someone was paying you know we were to paying take care of that to buy the license so that we could take care of it on our own time yeah yeah and uh i it is unfortunate you know uh, anytime uh, you know a lot of folks they they get very um i don't know if attached is the right word but they get they they feel very strongly about any management of predators in particular um and it's uh, it's unfortunate because the, I don't feel like they've understand the full picture. Yeah, and, for sure. And uh, as long as it's being managed and regulated, um, there's no there's no danger to the species. In fact, it's it's a benefit because you're not having these giant population swings, and you're not having disease as come through as often. You still have issues. You know, we've had. In New Mexico, we've had problems in, uh, especially the southwest and southeast part of the states, in our mm -hmm. fox populations with uh, distemper. Um, that's mitigated somewhat, 
by having you know a, a harvest out of there so the population doesn't get as high we still have those issues it would be magnified substantially if we had no take and our our fox population got really high distemper comes through it wipes them out it's really devastating disease if you've never seen it it's pretty yeah. pretty rough thing to see something suffering from it and it's it's uh, really also it's very it's a dangerous disease because it can get into domestic pets um, yeah. so it, it's really important that we take some of these animals off the landscape so that for the benefit of the entire species yeah. and anytime you start managing to save an individual animal it becomes very dangerous because you can save an individual animal but it's it may be at the expense of the entire species yeah so ty take us through kind of some of the dip and we got uh we got a little high up on the horse there, we did. Right? We did. Uh, but that's okay yeah. because it's all information that needs to be out there, uh, and and we shouldn't be you know afraid or or apologetic that that those sound management principles are being used, and those are things that uh, we feel very strongly should be fought for uh, because uh, of what Ty's talking about. So. Um, Coming back to what we were doing today, take us through just just some of the basic sets that that you're going to encounter or want to use as a as a emerging or, or new trapper. Um, so that's one of the one of the biggest things that I feel like people don't really understand about trapping is that uh, one thing that I hear very often is that it's indiscriminate. It's just you know, there's just a trap out there. It's a landmine ready to catch anything that comes along. Um, if if you do a little bit of research and you and you know what you're doing, um, there's no reason you can't be very species specific, and and you can be uh, almost to the point of I'm only going to catch this species, uh, depending on a whole variety of things. So when you're picking your locations, you really got to say in your mind, what am I after? Uh, because one location is not necessarily, sometimes it is, but usually it's not the best for every species that you may be wanting to take. So, for example, if, I, if I'm looking to trap raccoons, where we were at today, not a very good location. It's not a spot where raccoons are going to frequent. It's not a spot where there's a lot for them to eat. There's not a high population of them there, so it's not a good spot to, to trap for a raccoon. You go a mile, a half mile, mile to the east, you get down into the Canadian River bottom, yep. and man, you're into raccoons. You bet. You know, you, 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 again, depending on the species, but if we're talking raccoons, I want to be near a waterway. I want to be near a major food source, you know, a crop field, a corn field, something like that, uh, but, but almost always close to water. Um, if I'm trapping for a, a coyote, I probably don't really want to be in the thick brush along the river. Could I catch a coyote there? Yep, I probably could. But the odds are I want to be out in the plains because that's where they're they're at. That's where they're going to live most of the time. And so I'm going to be on a trail in the open, you know, that type of set. In the in that case, and again, that comes down to your that's your location. Now your sets again is is a little bit specific because. If I'm trapping for a bobcat and I'm in really thick cover, I might want to use a walkthrough, which is kind of a blind set, basically. And what I mean by that is there's there's nothing visually to attract that animal to that spot. It's uh, you're just basically using a travel corridor, right? I'm using a trail or yeah. or something where I think that they're going to be traveling, 
and I'm setting a trap there, and there may be some scent there, but really there's probably not a whole lot of visual attraction. Well, and you were talking about the actual making of the set specific to the animal. Uh, it's really cool because bobcats are cats. Yep. They watch where they step. You can, you can almost... M- make that bobcat step right where you, you want them. You can get very specific with a bobcat. Um, they're, they're, they're real bold, um, so that things don't scare them. Um, so you can have a pretty, I'll use the word gaudy set, you know, you trap like you're a, like you're an eight year old kid, sticks all around it and, and <laughs> so everything. So you could have caught something. Yep, you could. <laughs> I could have caught something. I did not. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, you can use a, a pretty, pretty gaudy set and and that does two things. If and I and I use those sets. Um, I personally use those sets. And the reason I use them is because when I'm setting in a location like that, I don't want to catch a coyote. And so if I use a pretty gaudy set, that will actually help reduce my chances of catching a coyote. Now you're saying you don't want to catch a coyote. Uh, there may be somebody out there saying, "Well, why would you turn down fur? Yeah. Uh, why would you not want to catch a coyote in that set? Well, and and I'm. I'm always, <laughs> I'm always happy to take a coyote. I mean, I, I love trapping coyotes. It's, it, you can't get anything more challenging than that. But if I've got a really good spot where I can catch a bobcat, um, I've got lots of spots where I could catch a coyote. And that's one of those that I wanna, if I can avoid catching a, a coyote, I probably would. Because there's not very many spots where that's really good that I can catch a bobcat, um, depending on my country, you know. And like we were talking about earlier, if you got a coyote in your trap, you ain't catching a bobcat. Right. Yeah, you're not going to catch a bobcat. And and uh, is it going to hurt my feelings if I catch a coyote in it? No, it's really not. But but that's that's an example of how I can be real specific. Um, if for whatever reason you know I've got uh, you know mange or something in those coyotes, and I I really don't want to catch one, that's a good way to keep from catching them. Um, yeah. So. Hmm. Uh, if I'm if I'm trapping for for coyotes, uh, very rarely do I want to exclude a bobcat. But uh, but you can uh, you can exclude bobcats just in where you set. You know you can be wide out in the wide open. So uh, if for whatever reason I was uh, trapping early season, let's say, and, and it's it's uh, you know maybe legal for me to take a bobcat, but I know that they're not going to be prime at the first of November. I'm going to move away from that brush a little bit and get out there, you know, 50, 60 yards away from a brush line. And uh, that'll increase my odds of catching a coyote or at least keep the odds the same, but it'll significantly decrease my chances of catching a cat uh, that's maybe a little too early. So talking about bobcats, uh, you're talking about location. Obviously, they like brush, they like cover, that type of thing. Yep. Uh, a walkthrough is one type of set you could use. Uh, cubby set? You can use them. Um, a lot of folks in, up in the North Country use them, especially where they get a lot of snow. Uh, I don't use very many cubby sets, but it's probably one of the oldest and most well-known cat sets. Uh, it basically, you're building kind of a little man-made cave and, and putting a trap in front of it. Um, they are effective. Uh, the reason I don't use them is just because I've found more. I've found sets that are a little more effective that take a lot less work to do, and those are real t- time-consuming. Uh, you know, it may take you 20 minutes to construct a cubby and and uh, that's a lot of time to, to sit there and, and make a set that's just one trap. Um, you know, uh, flat sets, 
you know, will work for every predator. Uh, and that's basically when I say a flat set, I'm talking about a set that doesn't have a whole lot of visual attraction to it. It basically is just a, it's got some scent on it, uh, some lure, uh, maybe some bait, but usually just some lure, maybe a little bit of urine and uh, some sort of backing like uh, today I was using those, those cow pies, old cow pies. Uh, maybe a rock, maybe a, a burnt chunk of wood will be my backing. I want to keep it pretty small, you know, probably less than six inches high or so. So I'm not talking about a giant tree here. I'm just talking about a little chunk of wood. Um, and that's that backing serves as a way to keep that animal working the trap side of, of your set. And so, again, you think about it, they've got the whole world to walk on. Uh, you, and it's, it's tough, it's tough to get them to work on the right side and step in that two inches that you need them to step in. One of the biggest ones, and I showed this uh, set today to you guys, is a, a dirt hole. It's probably the most well-known uh, set. It's probably one of the most used sets. Um, I use it probably about 50% of the time, especially on my coyote stuff. Uh, it works well on bobcats as well. It's kind of an all-around predator set. And uh, you can, there's a million different variations of it, you know, big, small multiple holes um, you, you can really kind of let your imagination go with that one and, and figure out how you want to make those sets but just kind of your standard dirt hole is basically you're making like a gopher hole and putting your trap in front of it and putting a little bit of bait or lure down the hole or both and uh, I'll use like I say I'll use some walkthrough sets um, if I'm trapping for raccoon I'm going to use uh, maybe a, a a dog proof set which is uh, it's a dog proof trap and uh, and that way I don't have to worry about catching anything else um, you know it just there's there's a there's a thousand sets out there and you can call them what, whatever you want but in the end it it boils down to basically um, whatever you think is gonna mimic uh, what you see on the landscape so you know, the folks will have a urine post, mm -hmm. what they call a urine post set. And it's just mimicking a place where a coyote will come along and, and pee, you know, to mark their territory or whatever. And you're just kind of mimicking that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you can, a lot of these, you, you don't have to, you don't have to get locked completely into them. You can just kind of mix and match and, and find out what works for you. Yeah. And so uh, you were talking about, you know, the... Uh misconception out there about that the, these traps are indiscriminate yeah um i think on our first video and first podcast we talked about how you can set pan tension to to be very discriminate about what you're catching mm -hmm. um and then coming back to your mimicking nature i think it's it's really important to don't get too in your head about this think about what these animals are so a coyote is a canine uh a fox, although different than a coyote, is still a canine, mm -hmm. and you know a bobcat is a feline, and you know as a new trapper, think about that. Observe how a dog does something. Observe how you know your house cat does something. They're going to be very similar actions, are they not? Yeah, real similar. And then you know you, you think about spacing. That's one one thing a lot of folks get real hung up on, and and. At one point, I was pretty hung up on it. I, I wanted it exactly, you know. I read some some books and a, and a couple of studies where they, you know, it was 
uh, nine inches back and three inches offset to one side or the other. If we're talking about a dirt hole, you know, you dig your dirt hole and then the trap is the center of your pan is nine inches back from that, from the edge, and then three inches to either side. And uh, there's some validity to that, but I don't know that you necessarily need to carry a, a tape measure out there with you. Um, you know, it, you can kind of get to 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 eyeball it. You know, about where where it want where you want to be, and that's for coyotes. You know, that that uh-huh. setting is for coyotes. If I were in country where I was only trapping fox, you know, red fox, let's say, uh, your location is going to be the same as it is for a coyote, but I would want to have that trap right up next to the hole because. A fox is obviously a much smaller animal. They're from the tip of their nose to the, to the shoulder basically is a lot shorter, uh, just from a function of their half the size or a third of the size. And so you want that spacing to be a little closer. Now, if we were in wolf country, let's say we were up in Montana or Idaho or something, we were trapping wolves, uh, I would wanna move further back because again, I'm talking about now an animal that's twice or, or uh, two thirds again, the size of a of a coyote of a big coyote and so my spacing is going to move back you know big difference between trapping a 80 pound wolf and a 25 pound coyote or a 25 pound coyote and a 15 pound fox and so it it really you know unfortunately the indiscriminate stuff is is a function primarily of folks like me when i was a kid didn't know what i was doing didn't know how to how to adjust anything um, and, and yeah, I, you know, with a trap just set on top of the ground, there's no telling what I could have, could have caught. Obviously I did not catch anything, but <laughs> I was such a bad trapper. I couldn't even catch anything, but you know, that is one of the areas that I think a lot of folks get in trouble is they, they want to, they want to get into it. They don't know anything about it. And so they set either in a location or with equipment that's not up to the task and yeah. it's not anchored right it's not tied off it's not staked it's not cabled off and all of a sudden you have you know an animal out there that gets caught that's not still on the location that's bad and i think you see this a lot especially i mean it's kind of like shed hunting you know when you when the prices of those furs goes up you get people out there who are looking for a quick dollar and they don't care how they get it and they and they put that out there and that's when you're catching that that indiscriminate stuff and that's where a lot of the bad rap comes from um and so really that that's kind of a a good point to get across is don't be chasing that money i mean this is um there's so much that goes into this uh, you better be prepared if you're going to get into it well if if i can tell you right now if you if you're getting into it for the money you're uh in for a severe disappointment and possibly bankruptcy right um divorce all that fun stuff if, if you're not doing it because you love to do it and because it's it's extremely challenging and it gets you outdoors and it gets you a chance to spend time with your family you're not doing it for the right reasons right and that's i mean that's anymore that's really hunting across the board it is used to be the people hunted to feed their families um they trapped to sell the furs to feed their family um you you can go to the grocery store and get beef for by the time you add the gear and the travel and all of that stuff it's cheaper to buy beef at the grocery store than it is to go hunting gear. It is. <laughs> it's, you know, it's it's a way of life. Um, and I, I think it serves a really important role, especially in today's world where so many folks live in town. Mm-hmm. They don't get a lot of experience with, with the outdoors. They, you know, they don't, 
they don't even have grandparents who have the farm. You know, there is right. no family farm for them to go spend a weekend on. That and connection so to that nature the is gone. The connection to to the natural world is important. It's really important. I think that that's why you're seeing a resurgence in the interest in in these the younger generation, the millennial generation. They're interested in knowing where their food comes from. They're yeah. interested in being connected uh, yeah, to their absolutely. food and, and connected to where it comes from and what they're using and where you know where did these shoes come from? I want to know yeah. the history on them. Well, there's nothing that will get you that connection like hunting will, like yeah. trapping will. When you know, I know where it came from because I was there when I took it, and mm-hmm. I'm, I own that, and I'm responsible for that, and so I can't pass the buck on. Well, I don't like how they slaughter beef. If I don't like how they slaughter beef, then I have to yeah. do it myself. And if I'm going to eat beef, yeah. And it, I think it's really important that people uh, stay connected to that natural world. It it's so important, uh, you know, for all of man man's history. Right. We've been connected to the outside world, and now in the last basically three generations, we've gone from from living in the in the in the world to now we're just in these cities and it's yeah and it's it's interesting because like we talked about earlier you know we live in the information age where the information for everything is right at your fingertips but the experience is going Mm -hmm. Um, there's so few people out in in the outdoors now um, experiencing it that um, and I feel I feel like my kids are, are involved in this. They hunt, they fish, they trap, they love it. You know, they, they love to, to be in the outdoors. And I feel like it's important uh, in this world of, of crazy events that they understand the ramifications, like the gravity of the situation. Because mm-hmm. when, you, when you take a life, you have to be responsible. And, and it's not a video game. It's no. you walk up to that deer and you owe you owe the respect to that animal. Yes. And and then you take care of it. And then you take it home. And I you know, my boys, we, we went deer hunting this year. They both got deer. They were super excited. And then we get home and they've got all this meat to cut up. They cut up all the meat themselves. I helped them a little bit, but really they did it by themselves. And I don't you know, they're like any kid, they don't like doing work. But sure. By the time they got done, I think there was a sense of pride there that they had fed the family. Mm-hmm. That when we pull that package of meat out of the freezer, it has their name on it and it's written in their handwriting because they're the ones that cut it up, packaged it, and put it in the freezer. I think that's super important. It and is. It's it's huge. And the boys get the same uh, same thing from trapping. You know, they they do it all themselves, and in the end, they know that they've got some skills that a lot of folks don't have. Right. And there's a sense of pride there. And and that experience right there, I think that right there, if more non-hunters or middle-of-the-road people understood that, we would have to fight a lot less to keep our our rights, yeah. our outdoor rights, because that, you're absolutely right. That's, growing up, that was my favorite thing, was the the, the family experience. You know, the going hunting, the going camping, the taking care of the animal, bringing it home, processing it out in the shop, mm-hmm. packaging it, all the way to eating it, you know, very important stuff. Absolutely. I think it's it's uh, really key talking about 
the value of hunting, the value of trapping, the value of fishing when it comes to uh, society, when it comes to young individuals and even, you know, older individuals who may have never done it. And, and I think, Ty, you've kind of illustrated that really well. Um, coming back to some of the trapping today, uh, what's the best advice you've ever gotten from, for, for trapping? Trap Ooh. at Walmart. We covered Trap that. at Walmart. That's the best <laughs> yeah, definitely. You'll catch a lot of them. De- definitely the front door of Walmart. <laughs> some of them are a little mangy. <laughs> There's some rabid ones. <laughs> no, uh, that's, that's a hard question, actually. Um, I don't know what the best advice I've ever gotten. Um, you know, there what I can't think of just like one thing that I've gotten. I've just I picked a lot of little tips up from a lot of folks. Um, sometimes it was uh, almost you know most of the time it was what to do, but sometimes it was even what not to do. Um, I I can't really think of just a single thing that was the best advice I ever got, other than uh, work hard. You know, it's it's not. Uh, it's not easy, and and once you're once you started trapping, uh, once you put sets in the ground, uh, it, it's not like you can wake up mo- one morning and just go, well, I don't feel like going out today. Uh, you're committed at that point, so it is a lot of work. So I guess uh, to follow up with that, um, what run us through kind of a I guess a, a typical day in trapping and and what it involves. And kind of stretch that out you know what what are you looking for each time that you go what what is it in what does it entail I mean I think it's very important that that listeners out there if they haven't trapped or if they're just getting into trapping understand what they're getting into I think it's important that you're realistic I mean um, I, I think a lot of folks I know I did for a while uh, when I was just starting you know you, you expected to set a trap and and you expected you would have something in every trap, and that is not going to happen. Um, <laughs> Especially when you lay them out on the ground. Yeah, uh, it, it's a low percentage game when it when you're talking about uh, trapping. You know, you're talking so, somewhere around a maybe a five percent catch rate would be. I would actually be very happy with a five percent catch rate every day. Um, Which that's very interesting. I saw Rodney made a face <laughs> different from his normal yeah. ugly mug. But, uh, you know, he made a face at the 5%, and and I think that's very telling because if you tell a hunter you have a 5% chance of actually getting an animal, what are they going to do? They're not coming up. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. not, not going to go. That's it's, stupid. It's definitely going to, you know, thin out, you know, separate the men from the boys. Yeah. Uh, uh, something like that for sure. Yeah. yeah, I think, you know, like I say, I think it's important that you have some realistic expectations. You know, if you're in a really high... Uh, travel area for the species that you're after you can definitely you know pick up a, a few animals overnight no question uh, but I'm also not surprised when it's four or five days before I pick up an animal uh, on a short line if I'm if I've yeah. got you know 10 10 12 traps out something like that around the house what do you what do you typically run like 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 say not not you're just not not you're just I'm gonna run somewhere around the house but like when you were talking about you take a week off and you go trapping I what tra- do you typically run i try to get if i can i try to get somewhere you know somewhere around 100 traps and, and the reason for that is it lets me cover enough country 
that I'm pretty pretty sure I'm gonna catch at least one or two animals a day. Uh, you know, hopefully up to five. That would be my five percent catch rate. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's about what it takes. Uh, and you have to remember, a hundred traps doesn't mean a hundred locations. Yeah. Uh, that may only be twenty five locations because I've got four traps at every location. Because yeah. when I usually, you know, again when I'm trapping with my boys, uh, we get out and and. I can usually set about two traps in the time it takes them to set one, so we pretty much have four traps at every one of our stops. So you're talking 25 stops uh, over, a, you know, however far, depending on the country, you know, you think you need to separate them out. You know, they may be um, 100 yards apart, they may be two miles apart. It, it just kind of depends, and, and it may be... Uh, a quarter mile, a half mile, a quarter mile, and then it's three miles to the next one just because of the way that the country is and the way that predators or, or coyotes or bobcats or fox use the country. And so, you know, people people tend to, to kind of be aghast at, you know, that many traps being out, but you have to remember you're really only covering about 25, maybe 27, 28 locations. Uh, and, and that's, you're catching, you know, hopefully you're catching a couple animals a day but it is also not uncommon for me with that many traps set it's not uncommon for me not to catch anything in a day um, and, and you have to remember it's it's on you're on an average and so you may have a day where you catch seven or eight and you may have a day where you catch zero and yeah. and it's got to kind of work out and that makes for a long day let me tell you when you're when you're going on that long of it and you're spending all day trapping you know you're spending all day driving around and looking at these sets and and maybe making a few new ones or whatever and you catch nothing it's pretty disappointing yeah uh, it's, it's like, like being in the field all day in some prime deer habitat and not even seeing a deer that's how i think that's happened a time or two to everybody uh and so yeah that's that's uh, that's good information to know again to have a realistic expectation um we talked a little bit about the rules in New Mexico and, and how each state is a little bit different. Uh, you know, one of the big ones here is you have to check your traps every calendar day, you yep. or, or, or an agent of yours. Yep. And so that's where you're talking about the commitment. You can't just say, oh, I'm not going today. Yeah, that's not an option. You know, you're once those traps are out, you're committed. And if you have, like we had here, you know, two weeks ago, you had a big snowstorm come in and we got 10 inches of snow and then a couple days later we got another 10 inches of snow on top of that and uh, me and the boys spent a whole day and we didn't have I think we had I don't know 20 sets out or something but just to get the five mile loop or whatever it was for us to get around to our traps it took us most of the day to find them and get them fired off so that we wouldn't have to be coming and checking them in the snow because we knew that that second storm coming that we probably weren't going to be able to get around for a couple of days right. and even after that we knew it was going to be really muddy and so uh you know knowing that you can't just leave them you've you've got to actually go and you've got to take care of your equipment and and, and either fire them off or pick them up or both and uh and it, it isn't an option you know you have a long day at work or something when i'm most of the time when I'm trapping during trapping season, I work. And uh, so I'm checking my, my traps in the dark, either before I go to work or after I get home. And uh, and it's you get home after a long day and you really don't feel like going and spending another hour and a half driving around looking at your traps. Uh, but you don't have a choice. 
you have to and uh, that is one thing you know if if you're not willing to make that commitment or if you think that you're going to be able to to check them every third day or every fifth day or something like that uh, you're not well you shouldn't be trapping Uh, that that's just that's just a reality whether you like the laws or don't like the laws the laws are the laws and you got to live by them and and again you owe that responsibility of checking checking your traps and and taking care of the animals that you that you do catch and uh and following the laws that we've got yeah i think that's kind of what uh, one of uh, i'm like i'm like ty where i'm i'm interested in trapping but uh, having having two young kids like i like i have it's that's gonna be very difficult and and probably one of one of the reasons that i've I have only dabbled in trapping up to this point because of that time commitment. You know, as I get older and the, and my kids get older and they can go with me, I think yeah. I'd like to do that a little bit more um, and spend a little bit, bit more time. I think we talked about it on the first podcast, Ty, but uh, this is one of those things where you actually spend probably more time in the field and out in the outdoors and learning about animal habits than hunting really does for you definitely you know it seems like every step and i'm not i'm not a purist i'm not an elitist but i think everyone kind of recognizes that you know as you go from rifle hunting maybe to something more challenging like muzzleloader hunting you know traditional muzzleloader hunting or you go from muzzleloader hunting to bow hunting and then you go from bow hunting to hunting with a longbow or a recurve you know traditional archery each of those steps is it's a it's a challenge and it makes it makes it harder on yeah. you the hunter it's not easier it's harder and and they make you a better hunter you know a, a really good bow hunter is going to be a better rifle hunter as well because they know how to get within 30 yards of that animal uh, they don't have to you know they can't get within 100 yards it's not close enough so I think trapping is exactly the same way you know it doesn't do me any good to get within five feet of the animal you've got to get within two get inches within two inches <laughs> and, uh, it it's uh it also you know the amount of time in the field new mexico is a tough state most western states are tough states in that there's not a lot of over-the-counter tags and so i can't guarantee that i can actually even go hunting every year um if i get lucky and i draw then i'm then i'm good if i get lucky and and find a landowner tag for for reasonable uh then i'm good i get to go hunting that year but i may not get to go hunting a year and trapping is an opportunity for me to be in the field every year um doing what i love and also spending some time with kids that i don't get to spend even those days you know again those those work days where i get home and i've got to go you know check 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 my traps whether it's half an hour or 30 or uh, an hour um that's an hour a day that I get to spend with my kids. That they're not that watching a TV. They're not watching TV. I'm not watching TV. Or... We're not distracted. We're we're sitting in a single cab pickup, three deep, you know, shoulder to shoulder, and there may not be a whole lot of conversation, but it's a good time. Yeah. And absolutely. And you don't have to have a an in depth conversation every day, but sometimes it's just good to be close to them, and and that's an opportunity for me every day during the winter. For me to be with my kids with no distractions other than the radio and and uh doing something that we all love doing and uh and and it's just uh it's just enjoyable i mean 
Yeah. And I, and I don't have to worry about whether I can draw that opportunity or not. I know that I have that opportunity. Yeah. For now. Yeah. For now. No. <laughs> let's, let's, not get, let's not get too no, far into no, that. No, let's, let's not. Let's save that for a different podcast. Um, Ty, we talked a little bit earlier. Um, well, I don't know. I don't know if we. I don't know if we talked about it. If we just did it in the videos, but uh, explain a little bit of the difference between baits, lures, scents, things like that, and so that kind of people can understand where to use one, not use another. Sure. So I'll I'll start this with a caveat. I am not an expert in uh, in this. I've, I've dabbled just a little bit in making my own baits and lures, um, but uh, they're... The rule is make them stinky. Well, <laughs> right, sort of. He, he, uh, then, you're, then you're an expert, because yeah. <laughs> everything I smelt today so was there, there's pungent. Been, there are some really good lure makers out there uh, that make some, some really top-notch baits and lures. And really, if it didn't just somewhat interest me, you know, kind of messing with that type of stuff and creating my own uh, a little bit, it's it's a lot more practical just to buy some good stuff. Um, it really is. But the difference really between a bait and a lure um, is a bait is typically something that is uh, that, that 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 animal is wanting to eat. So depending on the species, your bait can change. You know, if I'm if I'm trapping for a raccoon uh, using a dog-proof trap, I might use like dog food. That might be my bait, um, or marshmallows, or you know something like that, uh, grape jelly. Uh, that might be a bait that I would use. If I'm trapping for a canine or a coyote, um, yeah, a lot of those are pretty loud baits. You know, they're meat-based. Most of them are meat-based baits, and they usually are what they call tainted, which means they're they're spoiled but not rotten. So they mm -hmm. they have that, uh, that really strong odor, but it's not a rotten odor necessarily. No. It's just a, it's a tainted odor. Um, and then depends uh you know that you can buy and and or make your own that are what they call fresh meat baits so that it just smells like ground meat basically mm -hmm. um and that anyway no matter what it is it's something that that animal wants to eat uh usually and then a lure is going to be something that is attractive to that animal but not necessarily edible so your lures you, you know your baits usually come in a pretty good sized jar you know a pint jar or something like that <clears throat> they come in pints. <laughs> um, you already have a whole half a pint as it is. So they, you can get them in whatever size. <laughs> um, I'm getting a pint. Yeah. Get ball. <laughs> your your lures are going to be in in smaller bottles typically. You know your your one ounce bottles to four ounce bottles is pretty normal. Um, and those are going to be kind of a variety of different things. They've got what they, you know, what a lot of, there's kind of, I don't know, three or four categories, I guess I would put them in. You've got your your gland lures, which are, they smell like whatever that animal is. So let's say it's a, <coughs> excuse me, it's a coyote gland lure, it's gonna smell like a coyote. Um, if it's a uh, kind of a call lure, is uh, that's something that's usually a little bit louder, and by that I mean it's it smells stronger. That's gonna have, <coughs> excuse me, that's gonna have maybe some skunk in it or something like that, and that's usually what people recognize when they when they smell lures. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing they pick up on is that skunky smell. Which is funny because it's the same thing that they use in 
women's perfume and everything like that to maybe make that stuff smell we, good. Maybe that's why we pick up on yeah. it. Maybe so. <laughs> um, and then you've got, you know, a food lure, which smells like food, but really there's nothing there to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you've just got curiosity lures, which really, the, that's just... Um, it's attractive to them, but they don't necessarily know why. So we're talking something like, a, you know, maybe catnip or or spearmint type smell like that. Uh, that's really popular in our our cat gland lures or our cat lures. I mean, and then uh, a lot of lures have um, castor in them, especially the curiosity or the call lures have some beaver castor in them. Mm-hmm. And if you've never smelled that, it's it's actually a really pleasant smell to me. Uh, I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to describe. It's a little bit kind of like vanilla minty maybe. Yeah. It's a, it's a very unique smell, but it's not a, it's not what you're thinking as far as, you know, baits or lures. It doesn't stink. So, um, again, depending on the species, kind of going to depend on what you use um when you're going and buying lures you want to you know do a little bit of research and usually those those manufacturers or trap supply houses have really good explanations on what this is good for you and and, uh, and what it's used for and how much to use you can definitely use too much um you you can use too little but but usually the problem is not too little it's too much uh, people underestimate how how good a coyote or a bobcat's nose is, especially bobcats. Uh, they are amazing animals. They can, they, it's amazing what they can smell and how far they can smell it. You just don't have to use a lot. It'll actually sometimes hurt you to use too much lure uh, because it's, um, it's that that set's too hot. You know, it's, yeah. they won't work it because it's it's so loud and yeah. it smells so strongly that they can smell it from 25 feet back there. Uh, they don't need to come any closer. They can smell everything there. And so sometimes that's why you'll see, especially with coyotes, again, uh, coyotes are one of the hardest animals to, to trap. Um, you'll see uh, typically that your catch will increase uh, about day three on those sets after you've let them sit for about three days. It's for a couple of reasons. First of all, your set doesn't smell as much like you because you've been there. Uh, it's burned off. And then also your your bait and lure has had time to kind of uh, tone down just a little bit. Gotcha. So. Gotcha. And, and that was going to be one of my next questions was how much of an issue is your own scent? Um, you know, I'm assuming that, you know, you go out there and you set the trap. So you're getting plenty of scent mm-hmm. at that location. And then when you're coming back to check them, mm-hmm. are you going all the way up to the trap or are you just going near it mm-hmm. um, and not not contaminating the area further or yeah or are you wanting to get up there so you can see if there's been any activity there well, well you definitely want to see uh, you know obviously you want to see if there's if you caught anything so you mm-hmm. got to get at least that close um, but uh, you know some folks uh, just like in deer hunting or anything else some folks get real carried away with scent control um, my view on that and, and it's just my personal view but there's only so much you can do, realistically yeah. speaking. Uh, you know, you can't be out there in a hazmat suit, uh, or at least I hope you're not out there in a hazmat suit. That's going to get some strange looks. Um, plus, it's going to be pretty warm and uncomfortable. Well, we already have the whole Rosal stigma, so yeah. let's not yeah. be walking around the woods in hazmat suits. Right. I, I don't know if you need to look like it's a nuclear contamination <laughs> zone or not, but uh, uh, although that might keep 
other people from going to your area. <laughs> it's very possible. Very possible. Um, might also get you a, a free trip to Las Vegas to the state <laughs> hospital. So right, you, you right. never know. Um, no, realistically speaking, you know, you, you don't want to stink. Uh, so you don't want to have, you know, gasoline or, you know, you don't want to have uh, oil or, or something on your pants where you're kneeling down and getting that in the dirt. That's not good. Uh, you want to keep that scent to a minimum. So if you chew, you don't want to be spitting there right next to your set. You know, uh, that's not good. Or if you smoke, you don't necessarily want to smoke right next to your set. Um, but I there's no way, in my mind at least, there's no way that that animal doesn't know that you were there. You're going to leave some scent. You just yeah. can't help it. You just want to minimize that as much as you can. So um, try to be there as short of a period as you can. So when you're making your set, you want to get efficient where you're not sitting there for 20, 30 minutes sweating and dropping, you know, uh, uh, doing all that, leaving all that scent there. When it comes to checking my sets, if I can help it, I don't, I don't get near them, um, especially with coyotes. I try not to get anywhere close to them. So if I can see them from 50 yards, I'll check them from 50 yards. Gotcha. Um, now, if you do have to get close enough, obviously, to see if you caught an animal, but also you don't want to be checking a trap that is fired and you just haven't noticed it. So yeah. you've got to be close enough that you can tell. Well, has, has that set been messed with? Yeah. Is it disturbed? Did a deer walk on it and now it's fired? Um, did the cows trample it and now it's now it's just sitting there not going to catch anything? So generally speaking, the further you can you can be from that set, when, especially coyotes, uh, the better you're going to be. Uh, the better off you're going to be. Uh, I, I don't walk up to my sets every day. I, I don't walk right up to them, look at them, mess with them, uh, get down and brush the tracks out of them or anything like that if an animal came in but didn't get caught. I, I don't do that. Um, that will definitely hurt your catch rate. Gotcha. So I know this is one um, that, well, I don't know how controversial it is, but, but your reset after you catch something, are you just basically putting that back in the ground? Because from what I understand, all that disturbance is really good. Yeah. It, uh, again, uh, depending on the species. So if you're, uh, and I'm not a red fox trapper, uh, I've never trapped in good red fox country, um, but the uh, from everything that I've read and, and, and the guys that I've talked to that have, uh, red fox, if you catch one red fox, you've just increased your chances of catching another red fox in that location. It's just like made it a fantastic location because of all the smell. In my experience, gray fox are the same way. If you catch a gray fox, you've just increased your chances of catching another gray fox in that location. With coyotes, it seems to be a little bit, in my experience, hit or miss. Uh, sometimes it helps you, sometimes it doesn't. I, I personally uh, always just reset back in my same location, remake my set as best I can. Uh, may not be able to get the exact same set in, so I may have started with a dirt hole, but because because of there being a catch there, I can't remake the dirt hole because it's sandy ground or something. And so I'll just turn it into a flat set, but I'll just reset right there. Um, and sometimes you'll get catches relatively quickly uh, back in that same location. Sometimes it takes a little while for that set to kind of cool off a little bit. Um, some folks, and I, I've done it, uh, I haven't I haven't had a whole lot of success or diff I can't, I guess I, I'll put it this way. I can't see a lot of difference myself in moving that that trap just outside of that catch circle uh some folks will do that like just right i mean right on the edge of it you know maybe one foot outside the catch circle 
Um, some folks say that it increases their their catches on remakes. Um, I've tried it, uh, but I, I personally have not seen much of a difference between between that and just resetting in the same location. Maybe it's where I trap, I don't know. For you, it's more, mm, it's not worth the, the effort to move it. Yeah. Uh, restake and do all that. That's for just for me, us usually if I think that, uh, especially if I've made two or three catches in that one location, um, it's usually at that point, I won't pull my set, I'll just remake it, but I might add another set. So I might move over five, 10 feet and put another set in there. And just in case this set's too hot to work, yeah. they, they'll work this, this set that's fresh and it doesn't smell quite as strong. So that's what I do. Um, it seems to work for me, so. Very cool. Um, man, I, is there anything that, that we haven't talked about that you feel is very important in, in trapping and, and for people to understand before getting into trapping? Oh, I, I think we've covered a lot of it. I, you know, it's... I mean, obviously, we, we, we're not going to be able to cover everything just because it is so involved. Yeah. 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 But... Uh, you know, I think it's one of those that if it interests you, it's definitely uh, uh, it's definitely something that's... Uh, that's uh, it can kind of, once you catch the bug, it really is, uh, is pretty ad addictive, I guess. I don't know if that's a good word or not, but it, it's something that, man, it really the challenge of it is really grabs a hold of you and, and uh, um, that's really what I enjoy about it. Um, it's something that there's a lot of nuances to it and there's a lot of nuances to the laws around it and so I would recommend that you get a hold of someone uh, that, that knows something about trapping if you can, if at all possible. If you can't, you know, there's, there's lots of good resources out there and then you just read the laws and know what you can or can't do. Um, one of the biggest issues that I see, biggest conflicts, seems to be those folks who are uh, new to it or, or don't know very much about it and they want to trap close to their house and, and they end up trapping, you know, just outside of a subdivision or something. And that's just a recipe for disaster. Right. Um, yeah. and, and so use a little bit of common sense. You know, you don't be trapping on a trail. Uh, don't be trapping right next to... Uh, you know the subdivision or right in town or something just because it's convenient uh, this is this is something that you need to do it the right way and you need to try to avoid the conflicts uh, just like any other um, any other of our outdoor sports everybody everybody should be welcome out in the forest uh, but everybody's got to provide an equal uh, amount of respect to each other and uh, wholeheartedly agree with that That's right something we've been talking about since we started this podcast yeah yeah uh, respecting each other respecting everybody else i guess and one can i i'll just add one other thing if, yeah if you don't trap uh and you you know you do happen to find some traps out there one thing a lot of folks want to do is either they want to mess with the trap or take the trap or take the animal that's caught in the trap or or uh, sometimes even they want to do the trapper a favor and, and shoot the animal that, that they've caught. You know, let's say they caught a coyote or something and they want to shoot it for them. Uh, don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> you sure. know, just, 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 just leave it to be. If, if you think there's something illegal, you know, get, call a game warden and, and, and report it. But just leave stuff alone. Um, you, you, you're not doing anybody any favor. And, and if it's a, let's say it's a protected fur bear like a bobcat or a, or a fox or something if you don't have a trapper license it's actually illegal for you to shoot that animal so yeah. 
just leave them alone. It's illegal for you to mess with people's equipment. Uh, you can't steal it. It is stealing. Um, yeah. And, and um, again, you, you wouldn't appreciate if someone found right. your trail camera and stole it. Uh, yeah. And there's no difference. Yeah, like you said, avoid avoid conflict. I, I can't think of a much more conflicting uh, argument than a trapper walking up on some dude messing with his traps yeah that's that's going to be a conflict yeah, yeah. you know and, and and the same thing happens you know in places where folks set tree stands you know if yep. somebody gets mad that there's a tree stand on their water hole and they want to steal it or, or break it or something like that don't do that no uh, no i think uh just to add to that you know um if you if you don't understand trapping uh we're all about education just educate yourself a little bit and um make your own make your own make your own opinion don't don't rely on you know pro or anti groups look into it yourself and make your own opinion because the science behind it is is very strong um and i think that's that's one of the big things to to come away with this is that this is a great tool for conservation it is and if if you need information and you don't know where to look um i think a really good location that to start with and and there's it's uh, some of it's a little dry reading no no question but a lot of it's pretty good and is uh the association of fish and wildlife agencies uh if you if you go onto their website it's i think it's AFWA AFWA. We'll uh, we'll put the in our show notes. We'll yep. put a link to it in our show notes. There's they have some tremendous information. A lot of studies uh, about uh, the effects of trapping and whether tra- trapping is humane or not. And uh, I think there's there's a lot. If if you're looking for an impartial source of information, that would be one. It's a it's an association of wildlife biologists basically across the nation. And so. Um, I think Kyle's right. You know, if you if you don't know where you stand on it, do a little bit of research. Uh, it's out there, but uh, uh, you just have to be careful where you get it because obviously, uh, from one side or the other, it may be uh, biased towards their opinion. So go to a neutral source. Excellent. Absolutely, Ty. We really appreciate you uh, coming up, uh, going through the trapping with us. Uh, I think you're a fantastic source and a uh, a real benefit to to the sport and really appreciate uh, having you out and, and giving us the opportunity to, to learn about it. Yep. You bet. Thanks, Thanks for joining us. Adios. Adios. Thanks for joining Not a Grande Outdoors podcast. Come follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. And don't forget about our website, www.notagrandeoutdoors.com. Adios. Adios.